The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. More bad news on the economic front for the American people as the GDP in this country shrank by 1.4% last quarter, well below the 1% growth that had been predicted by economists. Surprise! Oh yeah, such a surprise. Democrats are blaming the economic slowdown on everything from Vladimir Putin to people not paying their fair share. To anyone who's been paying attention since 2021, just the latest evidence that Bidenomics is not working for the American people. Friends, it is time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. Bad economy, Biden can't turn it around. And he's responsible for so much of the crappy decision-making as we've seen. So what are they gonna do? Well. They're going to lie to you about it. They're going to try to hide the football. They're going to try to pretend that it's someone else's fault. But we're not going to let them get away with that. Here's a graphic that'll show you where we are right now. GDP growth in the Biden administration and a sad Biden face there. 1.4% down in this quarter. Now, this is this is, you know, Biden, very solemn face. This is, uh, of course, what could be the beginning of a recession. You get two quarters of negative economic growth, you are officially in a recession, and we could well be seeing that. Because remember, inflation is at a 40-year high, 8.5% for the last month. 
which is a lot. And that is just eating away at any economic gains, any financial gains folks could have. So how do the people, American people, feel about the economy right now? Well, 2% think it's excellent. And I, I think they're probably in the employ of the West Wing of this White House uh, and or just completely disconnected from reality. Maybe they can't read a survey or they like being more poor than they were before. 18% say good. Yeah, those are left-wing Democrats who hate Trump so much. That's down 26% from last year, by the way. 42% say poor, 38% say fair. I mean, these are huge increases in the negative direction for the economy uh, because things are not going well. People actually can observe this, right? You see what's going on with the price of gas, you see how much more expensive your grocery bill is, you know that, you feel that, that's real. They can tell you it's not, but you know that they're lying to you, so that's an issue. Biden's gotta figure a way to spin this because they are heading into a nightmarish midterm election. It's gonna be so great for America, freedom, and all that is good in the world, but the Democrats are gonna be really sad. Uh, despite the GDP drop for the first quarter, Biden wants you to know there's Enormous, enormous growth in the economy. Watch this one. I think we're, what you're seeing is enormous growth in the country that was affected by everything from COVID and the COVID blockages that we occurred along the way. COVID blockages or something, you know, whatever, something like that, right? No, no, no. What you've actually seen is, first of all, we spent too much money and lockdowns, which were championed by Democrats, but they did occur uh, under the Trump administration at some level too. So we do need to be cognizant of reality because we're not the left. We're not going to make it up here. We spend too much money. So inflation is a problem. Remember, the Democrats want to spend even more money though already beyond the existing, uh, the existing deficit spending that's going to be going on based on automatic spending in the federal budget. So they're crazy. I mean, they're just going to make this whole thing worse but what are they going to do? Well, you see the politics of envy and of class warfare are always the go-to for Democrats because people are feeling the pain right now at the pump, at the grocery store, paying their mortgage. Go try to buy a used car. You'll say to yourself, my gosh, this has gotten really expensive. Used cars, folks. Think about that. And Joe Biden says that if we really want to turn this thing around, you know what we have to do? Again, like I said, a little class warfare. Let's just talk about how Republicans need to pay their fair share. For Republican friends are really interested in doing something about dealing with uh, economic growth, and they should help us continue to lower the deficit, which we've done last year over $350 billion. They should be willing to work with us to have a tax code that is actually one that uh, um, works and everybody pays their fair share. And they should be uh, in, a, in a position where uh, uh, you shouldn't be raising taxes on middle-class folks. You should be raising taxes on people who everyone acknowledges and the vast majority of Republicans aren't paying their fair share. The vast majority of Republicans, notice these aren't paying their fair share. Um, last time I checked, you know, Jeff Bezos is a huge Democrat, big lib. <laughs> Go down the list. A lot of the richest people in the country, in the world, are Democrats. We know this, right? Nancy Pelosi, super rich. She's a Democrat. There's so many. Rich Democrats, Hollywood, New York City, the Upper East Side, Santa Monica, these are all Democrat strongholds. In fact, the wealthiest parts of every city in the country are overwhelmingly blue Democrat strongholds. So what is he even talking about? 
Republicans have to pay their fair share? Yeah, okay. And a small business owner who lives in Oklahoma is making 50 grand a year. He's not paying his fair share. A lot of Republicans just like that. Folks, it's all just blather from these idiots. Because what are they going to say? We're bad at our jobs. We don't know what we're doing. Our whole class warfare shtick isn't going to get it done. I mean, Joe Biden somehow made, what was it, $17 million after he was vice president? Mm, that's interesting. Five million of it unexplained, by the way. But, oh, he's just fighting for the folks, you see. He cares about the working class. Sure he does. You know who else pretends to care so much about the working class? Chuck Schumer. Uh, and, and now what they're saying is, well, Republicans who aren't in power and don't get to make decisions, they're not doing anything to make this better. Here's the Senate Majority Leader. Democrats are focused like a laser on developing and passing legislation to lower costs and improve Americans' daily lives. It is our top priority, and higher gas prices is the place where Americans feel it the most. But passing legislation to fight higher gas prices at the pump is at the very top of our list. The American people didn't send us here to just point fingers of blame at each other. That seems to be what our colleagues on the other side of the aisle do. They don't have any constructive suggestions. No constructive suggestions. How about get out of the way, stop taxing people, stop with your regulation, unleash the energy sector, fossil fuel energy, that is. Stop telling industry that you're going to be taxing them even more. Stop telling people that they're not paying their fair share. Get out of the way. America is the greatest engine of economic prosperity and growth of any country in history. Get out of the way, libs, but they won't do it. In fact, Pelosi, who somehow is really good at investing in the stock market for somebody who has a whole lot of what would be considered inside information, right? But anyway, Nancy Pelosi, but they're exempted from that, as you know. Congress doesn't really have to play by insider information laws the same way as other people. Pelosi says that it's exploitation by the oil companies. That's the problem for gas prices. Watch. Uh, so lowering cost at the pump, lowering cost at the kitchen table, that's what Democrats are about. And again, we're going to be getting down this path with very serious legislation that is for now, recognizing COVID and what that has done to supply the Ukraine, what that has done to supply, but recognizing there is an ongoing exploitation and manipulation that, that is unfair to America's working families. Ah, yes. Brainless pseudo-populism, courtesy of Nancy Pelosi. We'll have more on today's disappointing economic news with economist Steve Moore when we come back. For a moment, let's talk about protecting your home, because can someone steal your home online? Well, yeah, in a sense they can. It's called home title theft. Here's what they do. The bad guys, cyber thieves, they forge a document stating you sold your home to them because your home's title exists online. And then they take out loans against your home and stick you with the payments. You often won't find out about this until you get the payment demands in the mail, perhaps even an eviction notice from your home. So here's what I think you should do, okay? Register your home address right now at HomeTitleLock.com. You'll see if you're already a victim. You might not even know it yet. And you can actually protect your home when you sign up. Tell them Buck Sexton sent you. You'll get a listener discount. HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Even more coming up next. Stay with us. Sir, how concerned are you about a recession, given the GDP reports today show the contraction of 1.4% in the fourth quarter? Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not concerned about a recession. And, I mean, you're always concerned about uh, a recession, but the GDP, you know, fell to 1.4%. Yeah, you know, whatever that's supposed to mean. Despite the bad <laughs> news about America's economic growth, 
President Biden is saying he's, you know, not that worried about a recession, really. Probably worth noting he wasn't worried about the long-term effect of inflation either, but here we are. At least one major financial institution is worried about a recession. This week, economists at Deutsche Bank predicted a, quote, major recession could be on its way, claiming it would likely be worse than the investment bank initially predicted. So could America be headed for recession, or is there still time to, let's say, right the plane? Joining me now, senior economic contributor at FreedomWorks, Steve Moore. Steve, thanks for being with us. Thank you. I mean, how, so just put it in the context. How bad is the news today? Before I get the predictions and the other things going here, 1.5, I'm sorry, 1.4% GDP decrease. What's that like? It's, it's very negative and, and it's shockingly negative. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, anytime you get a negative number on GDP, that's bad. It means the economy is contracting. It means people are getting um, poorer. But more importantly, you know, we're, we should be booming right now. I mean, my goodness, COVID is over. Businesses are reopening. People are going out, back out to restaurants and stores. You've got um, the uh, all of these factors that should be, we should be 5 or 6 or 7% positive growth right now. And I think if Trump were president, that's about where we would be. It's amazing how much Biden has screwed up this economy in 14 months. Now, the driving factor behind this bad report was inflation. Inflation is the villain here. If you look at the nominal GDP, that's the GDP not adjusted for inflation. That was a solid number. We grew by, you know, five, five and a half percent. The problem is all of those gains were just eroded by this tidal wave of inflation. That's how we got a negative number. So you better do something, Joe Biden, about spending, which is why yesterday when he announced, oh, we're going to forgive $1.6 trillion of debt and have the federal government pay that off. And then Today, he says we're going to have another $33 billion for uh, Ukraine. Um, they're just spending money like it's candy. And that's the driving force of this inflation. Yeah, I wanted to ask just a little more about that specific point, Steve, um, because they're now saying, of course, it's the Putin price hike, which that's not going to fly they're, because we can see inflation was starting long before what happened in Ukraine. So that exactly. talking point fell away pretty quickly. But, but they are saying, well, there was a lot of spending that occurred during lockdowns, let's say, and under the Trump administration. And so mm -hmm. this is really, you're hearing this argument, Biden only spent 1.9 trillion of emergency COVID funding in 2021. It was all that Trump endorsed spending in 2020 that was the problem. What do you say to that? Sure, I mean, we spent four, four to $5 trillion we didn't have on COVID. You know, what so, we so it's for? true. Okay, that's yeah, that's I mean, reality. So we yeah, spent keep going. All this money, we borrowed more money than we possibly could. You have to wonder what did we get for four to five trillion dollars? A million people still died of COVID. I mean, I think if we just had the federal government just tell people be safe, do the right thing. This is a dangerous virus. You know, all this money uh, wouldn't have been spent, and we wouldn't have this uh, big problem with inflation right now. We've got to get the spending down. We've got to get you know America drilling again and getting our energy independent again. And the Fed is going to have to suck some of this inflation out of the economy now. It, I've done a number of interviews today. People always ask me, well, isn't that going to hurt the economy if we if we try to fight this inflation? And my point is, look, if I if if, if I had a diagnosis that said you've got a tumor, the first thing you do is take out the tumor, right? I mean, you know, this idea that we just let this inflation linger, the longer it lingers, the worse it's going to get. We haven't had inflation, you know this, we haven't had inflation like this in 40 years. We had 1.5% inflation when Trump left, 14 months later, we're 8.5%. And again, the, the match that lit this forest fire 
was out of control government spending. And yes, some of it was under Trump. And then Biden came in and spent another three trillion. So you published a piece on foxnews.com today in which you warned about stagflation. Just remind everybody, what would that look like? And why do you think we could be heading towards stagflation? Well, for those who are not familiar with that term, because we haven't had it for a long time in America, stagflation is the combination of runaway inflation, which we clearly have right now, plus a retreating, uh, shrinking economy. Now, I'm not, we're not at stagflation now. Again, if we, if we, the economy could rally uh, this quarter, but it, remember, two quarters in a row of negative growth is officially an infl- is a recession. So we've had one quarter. We get one more quarter, we are technically in a recession. I still think there's time to adjust to this, but when I hear Biden talk about, you know, we're gonna raise spending, and then I hear uh, Chuck Schumer yesterday saying the best way to fight inflation was with a major tax increase. Really? How in the world is a major tax increase gonna cause the economy to do better? It's a very good question. I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that. Here, here's Pelosi and. Schumer blaming oil company profiteering and hoarding for high gas prices. Watch. They are hoarding the windfall while keeping prices high for people at the pump. In this time of war, at any time, there's no excuse for big oil companies uh, to protect, uh, to profiteer, to price gouge, or exploit families. Oil companies last year made record profits on these tragedies, almost like vultures. We have the Ukraine tragedy, we have the COVID tragedy, and do they try to make things better? No, they come in and make record profits. What do you say to that? Well, companies are in business to make uh, money and to make profits. And are we supposed to believe that all of a sudden Joe Biden came into office and all of a sudden these companies got greedy? I mean, companies always try to make as much money as they can. Um, We wouldn't have this crisis in energy and the high gas prices that are reaching five and in some cases $6 a gallon around the country if we just continue to promote American oil and gas. Let's not forget that Joe Biden said multiple times uh, when he was running for president and even as president that his objective and, and many of his uh, of his uh, aides have said the same thing. We wanna destroy the American oil and gas industry. So they reduce dramatically the amount of oil and gas we produce. And guess what happens? That means the price goes up. And for those oil companies that have the oil and gas, they have gotten a profit out of this because the price of oil under Biden went from $60 to $110 a barrel. What are we looking at in the next six months? It feels like We've got some bad indicators here. Inflation is, is obviously at this 40-year high. And the Biden administration, when, when they come, it'd be one thing if they were saying, Stephen, that they were going to do the right things to fix it. But sometimes it sounds like they're, they're trying to make it worse. Exactly. That's what makes me so nervous about this. You know, um, they want to spend more. They want to tax more. There was a new regulation that came out last week that's going to cost our companies uh, $6 billion to comply. You know, the fact that the border's out of control, the rising energy prices reverberate throughout the economy. Uh, We now have globally a, a food shortage, which is a you know, it could be a catastrophe. It could cause real hunger and even a famine in, in many areas of the world. So these are troubling times. And I, I just want to point again to the fact that we've let this inflation monster out of the bottle. And it's hard to, hard to stick that genie back in the bottle, but we better do it quickly because there's no way we're going to get growth in the economy if you've got 8 or 9% inflation. It's, it's almost impossible. Steve. 
Appreciate the expertise as always. Thanks for being I here. I wish I had a better upbeat thing. We can know, still get time. a better wellness. The, as my buddy Larry Kudlow always says, the cavalry is coming. But right now, the policy regime in Washington is very negative. Yeah. Uh, obviously, <laughs> that's what we see happening. Steve, thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. President Biden yesterday declared to a room full of teachers that America's children are, quote, yours when they're in the classroom. A lot of people didn't like that one. A lot of parents disagree. We got more on it with New York Post columnist Carol Markowitz in a moment. I want to talk to you about protecting your online data first. A lot of companies say your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application called Secure. Spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mind your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone with total confidence you're not being spied on by your internet provider or big tech. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. At our Board of Education, we, we, we ban critical race theory. And so people in corporate media and on the left, what do they say? They say, oh, these conservatives, they don't want to teach about slavery or anything like that, which is nonsense. Florida statutes say, you know, teach about all these different things, including things like slavery and the civil rights movement. Uh, that is not critical race theory. I mean, that is just, those are historical facts. That's part of American history. Uh, and so we're doing all of that. But what we said to teachers is, those are the standards. If you're, if you're departing from that, and you're teaching kids based on race, or if you're doing any of this stuff, you're departing from the standards, um, and you could be you could be disciplined as a result of that. Governor Ron DeSantis has put his state of Florida at the forefront of the battle against critical race theory and woke teachers' unions, from rejecting certain public school textbooks to enacting the parent, uh, Parents' Rights in Education bill. DeSantis has led a push to reform education standards and practices in the Sunshine State. So. When will others follow suit, see the light? Let's ask New York Post columnist, Carol Markowitz. Carol, great to have you. Thank you, Buck. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's amazing, isn't it, to watch as the narrative shifted because yeah. early on, they were, they were talking about this don't say gay bill. And it sounds, of course, right. so ominous. That sounds horrible. You're gonna <laughs> say you can't say the word gay. I mean, the left censors words and says you can't say things. Of course, that's not mm -hmm. in the bill. That's not the name of the bill. Yeah, the whole thing was a big propaganda fight from the activists. Yeah. And turns out people in the state of Florida and actually across the country, including Democrats, are supportive of it. It's such an obvious thing. Who wants their K through third grader learning about sexual orientation or any kind of gender, you know, mishmash that they have going on right now? Um, I think that's such a basic thing for so many parents. And the, the thing was about this don't say gay bill is it's just as much don't say straight. Straight is a sexual orientation. So the idea that you couldn't talk about gay relationships, you can't talk about any relationships. You can't get into sexual orientation at all. And I think that's a great thing. I have a kindergarten. I have a third grader and I have a sixth grader. And I know that the sixth grader can handle things that the younger two just simply can't. Seems like common sense is something that the state of Florida is embracing 
And I also think that as Democrats continue to speak on the issue of schools and the teachers unions and shutdowns and CRT and gender identity theory and all this other stuff, more and more Americans saying, what's going on here? And then there's just the general philosophy the Democrats seem to have. I mean, this was just uh, just recently Biden talking to a room full of teachers. This is what this is what he said to a room full of teachers. Watch. You've heard me say it many times about our children, but it's true. They're all our children. And the, the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when you're in the classroom. I don't have kids. You do. But uh, yeah. I'm guessing you don't think that, those, those, that your kids belong to the teachers, too. I'm just saying nobody was cleaning up puke three nights ago when my kids were all sick overnight, uh, except me. So unless somebody wants to step in and help out with that, they're not their kids. And my teacher, my, my kids have had really phenomenal teachers, both in Florida and in New York, who cared a lot about them, who worried about them, who made sure that they were okay. But when they, when my kids went to the next grade, those teachers didn't like feel longing for them like I will when they go to college, for example. Um, it's, it's a very different relationship. It's nice for a teacher to care about their students, but it's not a parental relationship at all. And the idea that these kids belong to anybody but the parents is step one in this fight. Those are my kids and they're not anybody else's kids. And I think that there's also an awakening that has happened across the, across the country. In Florida, very much on the forefront of this, and that is, who yeah. are the schools really, who is operating the school system and to whose benefit, right? Uh, during the pandemic yeah. in particular, Florida was, was open much faster, much sooner in terms of its schools than so right. many other places. Here, here mm -hmm. is the American Federation of Teachers, I call her the uh, education commissar, Randy Weingarten, talking about how Republicans just hate public schools, watch. The bottom line is this, they just don't want public schools. You know, they, you know, Milton Friedman didn't want public schools. They, they wanted to have choice or universal voucher systems. But this time, they don't even care if they even have public education. And they will brutalize anyone who is in their way. What do you make of this, Carol? Yeah. So, you know, I have three kids in public schools. And it's very interesting because... In Florida, I feel safe leaving them in public schools because I know that Randy Weingarten simply won't have the kind of control over them that she, that she has in places like, say, New York. Uh, and part, of, you know, large part of that is Governor DeSantis and, and the laws that he is passing. I feel confident that my kids won't be brainwashed into leftism here, and that's such a big thing for parents. I'm not against public schools. Again, I, I could send my kids to private. I choose not to, and I think the idea that that conservatives hate public schools and want to smash them is ridiculous. And nobody did more to smash the public school system than Randy Weingarten. She said that schools were not essential, basically, and we believed her. So I, I'm very much for school vouchers to get kids out of the the public school systems where Weingarten has a lot of control. But for in places like Florida, where uh, Ron DeSantis stands between us and these insane teachers unions, you know, public schools are great. What, what, are, you, uh, what, what are you seeing right now from the governor? I mean, obviously, the parental rights bill covered a number of issues. But just yeah. the, what is the overall philosophy that he's using for the public school system in the state of Florida? I'm just wondering if this could be a model for some other states, because yeah. on the pandemic, I'll just say it, Florida was the model. I mean, it's why you live there right. now. Florida, Florida was right. the, the beacon of sanity and actual usage of data, while all these other places completely lost their minds. 
So what does that look like from an education context? Yeah, that's really what I'm thinking, that it's going to be a model for other states to follow if they you know, take the lead. I, I think that they should. Um, I think what Governor DeSantis is doing is presenting a very kids first model of schooling, which is something we just simply haven't had for a while. This leftism, this leftist wokeism that's spreading in public schools around the country, it's very serious, it's very damaging. And it's, and you know, we started this conversation with um, whether CRT, um, it, it means not teaching history, that's ridiculous. As Ron DeSantis said in the first clip you played, the CRT means that you'll have less time for history. You won't be learning enough math. It really will have um, a long-term harm on academics. So parents who want their kids to learn should motivate their politicians to follow Ron DeSantis's lead. And I just wanna know what you think of the ability to mobilize parents going into this midterms. Are, are there still folks, probably less so in Florida because um, things have been better there in terms of the of the schools being open, but just yeah. uh, do you get the sense that that parents will perhaps surprise people in Virginia? We saw this, let's say, with the Youngkin election, right. because mm -hmm. they're angry about what was done to their kids during the pandemic, and they want the chance to vote on this issue. Do you think that's going to happen, or is that wishful thinking? No, absolutely. I, I speak to so many parents around the country that are still fuming about it. Their kids lost at least a year of school in some places. It's really crazy that they, you know, people think that they should just move on, that we should just forget what happened. I, I personally can't forget, and my kids are in a much better place now. Uh, but it, it's the whole package. It's not just that schools closed. It's that we were gaslit every step of the way into believing that schools were somehow more unsafe than bars or you know any number of, of things. Um, so many dumb precautions were taken. And the story broke today that a lot of the COVID funds were used for programs like CRT. I mean, that is really what um, you know the problem is here is that all of these things are leftists are using to push their agenda in our schools. And people like Governor DeSantis are saying, no, we won't stand for it. We just need more people like him around the country to speak up. Carol, always good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Buck. Thank you. Joe Biden announced today he'd be asking Congress for an additional $33 billion in aid to Ukraine. That's on top of the billions we've already spent or sent them in arms since February. So is all of this actually making a difference on the ground? And what's the long-term plan here? Our friend Bill Roggio stops by to answer that. Stay with us. This morning, President Biden requested even more money from Congress to aid the Ukrainians fending off Russia's invasion. Biden requested an additional $33 billion, which he says will help to ensure military aid, hospitality, and food supply to Ukraine in their time of need. So how much money are we going to give Ukraine before Putin considers us to be actually joining them in some more meaningful way in this fight? According to Joe Biden, we're never going to stop, actually. Watch. As long as the assaults and atrocities continue, we're going to continue to supply military systems. It's critical this funding gets approved and approved as quickly as possible. So we're pumping billions of dollars into this conflict. Is it even making a difference the way that we had hoped? Join me now to discuss Senior Fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio. Bill, good to see you. Thanks, Buck. Always a pleasure. So the Associated Press reports the assistance package, which is now heading to Congress for consideration, would be more than twice as large as the initial $13.6 billion of defense and economic aid for Ukraine and Western allies that Congress enacted last month 
and is now almost already exhausted. $33 billion, a lot of money. Is this the right move? What's it going to get us? It is a lot of money. Um, we have to keep in mind, we probably spent about, oh, I don't know, $20, $30 billion a year on Afghan security forces. And in the end, we saw what that got us. Um, people were very quick to leave Afghanistan, to abandon Afghanistan because of the costs. Um, that war drug out for 20 years. And we were now we're very quick to get into a war that looks to be going to looks to be an extended conflict. This is a war that's going to require if the Ukrainians are going to fend off the Russians, and I'm not sure they're able to do that with the weapons and the money that they're getting. Um, this is going to be this could take months. This could take years the way things are developing. And we also run the risk the longer this conflict is extended, the more weapons and more advanced weaponry we supply to the Ukrainians, the more the Russians can view us as an active participant in this war. And, you know, look, I worry about the, the risk of coming into direct conflict with Russia, not because Russia can beat us on the battlefield. I'm certain after what we witnessed in Ukraine that they can. Um, it's that Russia is a nuclear armed state with 10 times more nuclear weapons than us. And when two superpowers go head to head, all bets are off. And those are the risks. I, those are, this is what I fear is not really being discussed in Washington today. Now, explain how you think that, will, that, that could play out. I mean, at some point, and Putin has been saying very bellicose things. He straight up said, right, that he will, he will use nukes if somebody thinks they're going to get into Ukraine, meaning obviously us or NATO, us and NATO, uh, get into Ukraine. He'll, he'll go to the absolute mat on this. But short of a full-scale military intervention, do you think there is a point at which Putin's calculation dramatically changes? I mean, if, you know, is it training? Is it uh, just provision of even bigger, more advanced military systems to the Ukrainians? How do you think that is assessed? Yeah, it's very difficult to understand what Russia, what Putin's red lines are when it comes to this military aid. So here's a scenario to think of. What happens if Putin decides to strike uh, assembly points for weapons uh, being transitioned into Ukraine that are inside of Poland? Then you have an attack on a NATO member, and we have a, there's a possible ex escalation. These are the things that can happen. This is what I really worry about: the, not understanding, not knowing what um, what Putin's red lines. That's very dangerous, and. I don't hear and I'm not aware of any conversations happening inside of Washington, inside of policymaker circles. Everyone is keen to defeat the Russians. I would love for the Russians to lose, but there could be unintended consequences to that. And we should at least be discussing them and gaming them out so as not to get into an armed conflict with Russia over Ukraine. So is this making a difference in the way that we had, we, we had hoped? Meaning the aid, the provision of, of, uh, of weapons and assistance to Ukraine. Um, because in the early days, it felt like there was a lot of talk of how the Russians had been bloodied so badly that maybe this thing would come to a negotiated settlement quickly. Now it looks like this is, and by the way, I expected this, and I believe you did too, uh, that this is going to drag out into a much longer conflict, that the Russian military machine, it's, it's not nimble, but it's vast, and it, is, uh, it, it does have a lot of capability over a long period of time to grind down an enemy. Uh, so, I mean, is, is, this, is this really the U.S. goal now to continue to arm 
what will effectively be a long-standing war in Europe to arm the Ukrainian side of it. I mean, how many how many months, how many years do you think we we go on with this? Yeah, that's the real question. How long can we afford to go along along with this while the you know the world is essentially on the precipice of a recession? We have rising prices all across the board. Um, how long can a conflict like this extend? I think the answer is the the weapons to to, to your first question. The weapons to Ukraine have both have helped to drive back the Russians um, from Kiev, right? Russians, I, I think a lot of the mistakes that were made by the Russians in and around Kiev are of the Russians making and not necessarily of the weapon systems we sent. The weapon systems we're sending now, it's not having the effect that we are hoping, which would be to blunt or halt a Russian advance. The Russians, as you had just said, they're grinding slowly, taking over village after village, uh, maybe a mi- advancing a mile, two, three a day along that eastern and southern front. It's a grind. This is something the Russians are geared to do. This is what I expected them to do around Kiev, and they just stopped. Um, so I was a little surprised by that. But what's happening in the east is exactly what both you and I had expected to happen. And I'm not sure the weapon systems that we're providing is enough to stop that. They're going to need far more advanced weaponry, which they're going to need training on. And a lot more of it than, than what we're seeing. The Russians have the advantage in logistics. They have the advantage in artillery. And it, it looks like they're getting the advantage in the numbers. The logistical problems with the Ukrainians, that's a, big, that's a big issue. The length of their supply lines from the east, uh, from sorry, from the west to the east, that's a very difficult to overcome. So, you know, are we, by providing these weapons and not looking to help for some type of political settlement here, are we extending this war? Are we leading to the eventual, the further destruction of the Ukrainian economy and its infrastructure? I don't have the answers to these things, but I, I again, nobody seems to even be asking these questions. Do, do we know, I mean, has, has Putin, to the degree that, let's just say, this could be known and we could take him at his word, do we know what Putin's ask is, if you will, to stop this war? Like, what, what would it take for, because I, I saw that, you know, the territorial concessions even for Donbass and, and Luhansk and, and they, the area in the east of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky said, well, that's off the table. Okay, well, did, but do we know what, what Putin would want in order to stop the war? Yeah, I think both sides have, are light years apart as to what would stop it. Uh, Putin certainly wants all of Luhansk and Donetsk, uh, uh, Oblast. Uh, that's certainly for sure. And I believe he also wants to occupy. I and mean, this has been stated by a Russian commander, and this was very obvious from their operations. I believe that the Russians want full control of the Black Sea, including Odessa. And then on the other side, Zelensky, which was willing to concede these again in the darkest days at the beginning of this war, Zelensky was willing to con- concede. Um, basically concede the Donbass, they're not willing to do that anymore. So when both sides, there's zero room for negotiations here. Um, And I think the pouring in of Western weapons has buoyed up the Ukrainians, and that's great. The Ukrainians have a right to defend their country, a right to fight as long as they want. But I think what this is doing is, uh, is making the gap between a political settlement between the two sides further and further. It's just extending the fight. At some point, these, the two sides are going to have to sit down and hash out what is, the, what is the end of this war. And I don't see that end in sight. Bill, appreciate your perspective as always. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Buck. Always a pleasure. Great to see you. 
All right, Joe Biden once again short circuits during his recent address on Ukraine. Like we say, uh, it's not something that's enjoyable to watch, but you need to see it and understand what's going on. We'll have that and some other things for you in Quick Hit. Stay with us. The president has a senior moment today, that's for sure. And DHS Secretary Mayorkas announces the U.S. is getting its own Ministry of Truth, to borrow from Orwell's 1984. We have those stories in Quick Hits. Let's get to it. Look, I don't like to have to point out a person's cognitive decline due to age. I've seen this in my own life and members of my own family. It's a sad thing, and it's something that it's just the nature of getting older. You reach a certain age, this is going to happen. But this guy is not running the local hardware store. Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He has the nuclear codes. He has tremendous power. He can sign or not sign legislation that has enormous effect on the lives of the American people. He can declare war. We're in the, we're in the midst of uh, the world facing off against a very aggressive Russia and the biggest war in Europe since World War II. And Joe Biden's the commander-in-chief. I bring this all to you because here he is while talking about Russia's kleptocracy. Watch really closely. Of, uh, that will enhance our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their, take their, their ill-begotten gains. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah, kleptocracy, and klep the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> but these are bad guys. Yeah, this is the President of the United States, everybody. Democrats thought this was a really great move, really responsible move for all of us. Yeah, sure. DHS Secretary Mayorkas has announced the formation of, this is real, a government misinformation and disinformation governance board. Watch. We have just established a mis- and disinformation governance board in the Department of Homeland Security to more effectively um, combat uh, this threat, not only to election security, uh, but to our homeland security. Disinformation as a threat to our homeland security. Now, I know they're saying right now that it's really just in the context of Russian disinformation, I think also on migration issues, I think I saw something like that. So, but they're saying it's very limited disinformation they're concerned with. Does, does anyone think that's gonna stay there? This term disinformation is just really a, a word that is weaponized to silence those who do not agree with the consensus narrative. That is what disinformation actually means. That is what it is actually about, okay? As, a way, as they use it. And the Russians actually have the term disinformatia, which is their version of disinformation, obviously, just with a little bit of Russian flair. They use it all the time. And guess what? America, if you look back at what happened with our own government, with the deep state, with the media, there was a lot of disinformation about, oh, I don't know, like Donald Trump colluding with Russia, stuff like that. Remember that? That was a, well, what would we call that? A huge concerted campaign to mislead the American people into something, to thinking something that has tremendous political consequence that would assist one part of the ideological spectrum in this country at the expense of the other. What are, that's disinformation, isn't it? Oh, so maybe they're doing a disinformation bureau or whatever they're calling it so that they can show us all their expertise in 
doing disinformation. I don't know, maybe that's what's going on. Biden Education Secretary Miguel Cardona says he is concerned about all the divisiveness and the culture wars out there. Watch this one. And we are concerned with some of the policies that are less curriculum, more about division, more about uh, bringing politics into the schools. I said at the onset, our schools should not be the, the place for, for culture wars. Our parents want our children to recover from what was missed during the pandemic for the missed instruction. They want the mental health needs of their students cared for. Yeah, uh, the division and culture wars in the schools is the result of the left turning these places into ideological indoctrination factors. Public schools, very young kids too. And then the right, because of what happened with Zoom instruction at home when the lunatic Fauciites shut down schools for, well, a year basically, uh, then we actually had parents who saw what was being taught to their kids and they were upset about that, rightly so. And so now, yeah, there's, there's a culture war, but it was a one-way war before. Now it's going both ways in the schools, as it should. As it should. People should know what's going on. I don't know if the libs are ever going to let this go. I think they're going to spend four years, some of them, masking ostentatiously. So not to really defend themselves from a virus, but because the mask is a political symbol. And this is another example of how insane they are. Biden will not eat dinner at the White House Correspondents event because of COVID. Okay, here's the headline. Biden has skipped the eating portion of the co- or Correspondents Dinner to limit his COVID risk. Um, but he's around people all the time elsewhere. I mean, they're so full of it, aren't they? It's ridiculous. That's everything I told the line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Fields high. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 